Hey, if you're loving Creative Mind, check out some of our past episodes where we dive deep into topics like children's book illustration, video game design, filmmaking, and of course, the most important topic of all, how do you make a living as an artist? So please hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so you never miss an episode. And check out the show notes for links to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube page for even more great content. I know the solution's there. How am I going to get there? Especially I'm being attacked from this side and pitfalls on that side. And the fun is that path. The beauty of problem solving is getting there. And obviously the realization of a solution. But beautiful as that is, I believe the path and the adventure going there is the fun of it. That is inventor, industrial designer, and all around, I'm going to use the word genius, Mark Garcia. And yeah, you heard right, an inventor, a guy who actually comes up with new ideas and goes, I'm going to make something good. Or more importantly, what's often in the case of an industrial designer is to look at a problem, think of 200 ways to make it better, then try those 199 ways of failure to get to that one thing, that one thing that makes it new, good, better, to create, to invent a new way of solving this problem. And Mark here is really gonna talk about his journey into the world of invention, but really his journey into the world of problem solving. And I highly suggest you grab a pen and paper and start taking some notes because Mark brings a really unique way of looking at things. So if you've ever thought about toy design, industrial design, or just have an idea to make something better, then this conversation is for you. So here we are with Mark Garcia. Mark, you are an instructor here at the Academy in the industrial design department where they're designing cars and stuff for NASA and all this kind of great stuff. And then you have your company, Rogue Innovations and Designs, RID. And you have this title of inventor, which we're going to get into because that just seems, you know, otherworldly to real people to actually be an, <laughs> a legitimate inventor. But your background is not in invention, I'm guessing. You didn't wake up at two and go, I'm going to be an inventor when I grow up. Or did you? No, didn't dream of it particularly, but just kind of organically went in that direction. How did you come to becoming an inventor? I, I, and I don't know how to ask that in a better intelligent <laughs> way, but how did that path for you come to, I'm going to be an inventor? I, I don't think I've ever said I want to become an inventor. Although one question from my former director at Mattel, she said, what kind of toy designer do you want to be? I said, I don't understand. And she said, what, what kind of toys do you want to make? And I said, everything. <laughs> and I guess that's where it kind of started, but I've never particularly said I want to be an inventor. But I guess a caveat to that is when I was six years old, I remember specifically drawing on computer paper, <laughs> um, solar cars. Oh, really? Literally solar panels, and I was drawing wires to their wheel hubs. Maybe it started back then. Maybe it developed as I learned industrial design and, and started designing things. But the inventor thing kind of just came to be. Because you did your master's here at the academy. Uh, second degree. Second degree. Yeah. Okay. Second bachelor's. Yeah. Okay. What did you study before that, though? Computer information systems. So is that the cool computer game design stuff or something? No. no. It's IT. Okay. Information technology. Basically, the, all the stuff that makes everything work. Mm -hmm. The internet, essentially. Okay. That's what I was in. I, I did that in the 90s when it was booming. Right. When, when that was all there was to do. Right. And that's where <laughs> the money was, essentially. Yeah. Okay. Right. Was it something you enjoyed or was it just a, a path to better money? 
Because that's the hard part. I know a lot of us, you know, I ask that because a lot of people who have a second career or a second rebirth or renaissance, if we want to get artsy-fartsy, did something because, hey, this is a job that is going to be good for me. Yes. I grew up in a traditional household that said I was going to either be a doctor, lawyer, or in this new technology, computers. And so I chose computers because it was cool. It was new. Mm. And I enjoyed it because there was a challenge of learning it. And I got really good at it really quickly. And I went through the challenges of it and surmounted all of those challenges really quickly. And then I got bored because oh, it wasn't so something that I really liked or didn't empower my creative side, which I was essentially, like I said, drawing since I was old enough to hold a pencil. Mm -hmm. And so I did that and found that it wasn't for me, essentially. And that's why I went back to school. Because I know we, we had talked before, you were in banking or something like that as well? No, no. I was a bank teller. A bank, okay. A bank, well, okay. Yeah, when I was. Uh, you, were, you were helping uh, to uh, move large amounts of currency between the end user and uh, banking establishments. <laughs> well, well, yes, kind of. <laughs> uh, yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I swept up a warehouse when I was in school. So I was utilizing uh, different tools to uh, remove debris from large-scale industrial complexes. <laughs> <laughs> So you came to the academy to, was it to learn to draw or to learn to design or what was the impetus to go, well, I want to go to art school, which is a major decision at anybody's point in time, but even after a career and graduating and working, what was the concept or the, the push to then chuck it all and come to art school? Alcoholism. That was the... <laughs> Okay. I, 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 let me explain. Okay. <laughs> Being in IT, like I said, I surmounted those challenges, got really successful really fast, but the challenge was gone and then I was not fulfilled creatively. So I chucked it all because I subscribed to a magazine called Popular Mechanics. And there was this term called the industrial designer. I had no idea what that was, but apparently they made things, they made things. Right. And so I researched it and I found San Jose State and I found the Academy. I interviewed Tom Matano, the director there, yeah. my now uh, leader, yeah. and Hideki. And after that interview, I decided I need to try this as an experiment. Okay. And so I kept working full-time, went to school part-time in the evening. After the first class, I was in love. And, <laughs> and also, this, my other first class, I saw that I was not good at model making. And so in a way, I was like, <laughs> wow, I'm being challenged. I'm failing at, at I'm not doing so well at things, but I'm also find, uh, finding that this appeals to me and my true creativity and soul, so to speak. Okay. And so that's why I chucked it all and said, you know, I'm not happy. I'm, I'm drinking way too much mm -hmm. because I hate what I do Monday through Friday. Okay. And so that, that's why I said alcoholism. Sure. No, <laughs> indirectly, no, no, I mean, you know, that, that changed my life. Yeah. You know, a lot of people do numb themselves when it comes to, I'm not happy. Let's not find something that makes me happy. Let's just numb it you right. know, to get into the, you know, the armchair psychology. Has the creativity been the release that you need? Absolutely. Okay. Well, that's good. Cause we've been talking to people lately and, you know, art as therapy has come up a lot and it's so important, I think, as we all get older. I mean, I have a three-year-old, and not to make this about me, but I, I realize it's like, I can't yell and scream at him because he's a three-year-old, but I can't yell and scream at myself because he's a three-year-old. So if we just sit there and throw paint on the ground, everything seems to be magically fine. 
Yes. And for you, the challenge you're saying was the thing that drove you to be better? Yes. Really? Yeah. What did you find in yourself that the challenge was the happy spot? So just to be clear, the question is, what did I find about challenge in itself? Yeah. I think it's just my nature. Everything that I've come up, well, not, I can't say everything, but I've realized that the things I come across that challenge me bring me the most fulfillment. And when I'm not challenged, I tend to get bored <laughs> really quickly. And it's, I've, I've realized that's not a fault. Sure. <laughs> uh, the artsy thing, right? Yeah. And I realized that I had to do what really challenged me and solving problems through my talent, if mm -hmm. you will, of drawing, uh, as well as using my imagination was, was my therapy. Really? Yeah. Really? So you know, are you one of those people that you get challenged and it doesn't work out and you're not throwing things against the wall at the end of the day? You're still happy? I'm literally, yes. Like, no, I don't throw things. In fact, I'm more compelled. Really? Like, I can't, what? I know there's a solution. I know there's one. I know it. And I just keep going and ask my wife to my detriment sometimes, <laughs> where are you? <laughs> well, sorry. I was that thing that I was thinking about still in my head. Yeah. And so when you said earlier about the aha moment, yes, I, I have that a lot because the, the challenge of solving problems doesn't make me throw things at the wall, but rather perpetually inspires me to find a, a solution. Really? Yep. So let's go into that concept because I, I mean, when somebody goes to any industrial design class, and I'm going to sell the academy slightly here because <laughs> sure. the industrial design building is the most awesome. Every time I go over there, it's like, how do I convince my wife to let me do this in school some more? Because <laughs> this looks like the most fun anybody can have where it's like, here's all the machines. You got an idea, figure it out and make it work. And your number one idea is make it cool. Yes. It's like, you're going to pay me to do that? <laughs> Now that you're doing it, how true is that statement, though? It is 100% true. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. You know, because I'm just making this stuff up as I go, so that's, <laughs> that's scary. Walk me through, then, the concept in your mind of what industrial design is to explain it to people. Industrial design, by definition, is designing for mass manufacture. Industrial, just by the word itself, means factory okay. or industrial to make it through automation almost, mm. or an assembly, so to speak, assembly line. So to explain it to people, industrial design is designed for mass manufacture. Okay. So it, it's making something that's going to be on every shelf and almost become generic or? Well, I mean, it, some things can be commodities. Then Mass manufacture can be super premium and not necessarily super mass and then super, super cheap and super duper mass. So, mm. but regardless, industrial design is making or designing for mass manufacture, whether it's a thousand pieces okay. to 10 million. Okay. When you sat down and realized that this was going to be or that first class where you realized, okay, this is where I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm headed down to this direction. Mm -hmm. What was that next step after you realized, I, I want to do this? That seems like there literally is no end to what you can create. Where did you decide to start focusing your attention? After I talked to Tom, I was like, okay, I'm going into the trans department. 
Okay. To do cars and motorcycles, I just enthusiast. Uh. But I would say that after my first semester, I realized I didn't just want to do transportation and what that means, you know, moving things. So to sure. Speak. I realized that there was such a large world to design for, and that's where my focus kind of started going to product rather than just... And, and what was the appeal for that? Because I, I, you know, in the industrial design department and, and when people started looking at it, I think that's the thing that, like you said, it's everything has an industrial designer's touch on it. Cars and motorcycles have to be the sexiest thing you could ever work on. You know, if you say I'm a car designer, people just take two steps back and go, okay, you win. <laughs> but what was your thinking or what was the appeal to stuff that wasn't cars? The fact there were many more problems than just transportation. <laughs> back to the idea there's, there's going to be a million things that I can't figure out. Yes. Really? Exactly. What were some of those early products that you started to tackle and wrangle into, you know, <laughs> into submission? Well, in college, I guess my first design project was for softball. I'm a softball enthusiast. I've been playing baseball since I was young, and I made an invention for that, basically. Uh, for I, softball? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, what, tell me. It was a, a pneumatic softball launcher to simulate fly balls because I got my wife to play softball and my sisters. And okay. I was like, you know, hitting these fly balls is, I can do it, but sure. it's not, not everyone can. Yeah. And I would like it. And so that was my first product that I went after. It was an invention, mm -hmm. of course. I didn't know it back then. And then I went into, let's see, projects that were assigned to me, like parking payment system and everything. But interestingly, I started going into toys at the behest of my mentor, John Marsh. He said, you know, your style and your energy, it just seems like you should try toy. And I didn't even know toy was there. I was training to be a consultant under him. And then I found toy and I was in love. I'm, I'm a big kid. Uh, that's why I like cars and motorcycles in the first place. Sure. And so went to toy and fell in love. Um, I, I'm glad you brought that up because toys, toys seem to me like the hardest thing to design for, to me in my mind, because I, I mean, anybody that goes to art school or has a creative side, then they get a kid or they hang around kids and they start looking at kids' toys and go, this is garbage. I can do better than this. And then you sit down and do it and go, I don't know how to do this. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> how do you design fun? Um, hmm. There's many ways, actually. Yeah. You do research, which all my students out there, if they're listening, it's, that's the first step. You got to okay. find out what is fun. And fun is different for different people, but generally speaking, fun is what will make someone smile. And you'll know. <laughs> you just give something to somebody, especially a child, and they're, they're having fun and smiling and engaging, then you've succeeded. If they skip over what you made and go to the box, which is a large competitor, yeah, to sure, toys, um, then you failed. So I don't know if that answers it in terms of designing for fun. Is that something that actually happens a lot? You you put a bunch of toys in front of a kid and they just look up at you like, "What are you stupid?" Well, typically when they're testing your toys, you're behind a glass like this; okay. they can't see you. <laughs> but it's interesting the insights that kids will give you because they're essentially the truth, right? Sure. And they walk up to something, you know, it might be shiny, it might be a cool color, they'll, they'll mess with it or not, but it's all based off of research and precedent because typically there are traditional play patterns that we, that we'll go after. I guess I should have said that before, okay. but play patterns is something that the designing fun is based off of.
And tell me briefly, because I don't want to do 60 minutes on the entire world of industrial sure, design. Sure. But talk to me about these play patterns, because I think that that sounds important, you know, in a kind of duh way. Yeah, of course it's important, but it sounds important because so much of what we do has a play aspect to it. You know, you and I and other people who are not in art school can talk about gamification of everything now as as a thing, and that just is a fancy term for play. Right. So what is that concept of of play then, those fundamentals you were talking about? Play patterns? Play patterns, excuse me. Uh, play patterns are things like hide and seek. Okay. It's such a fundamental of concealing mm -hmm. whatever you're trying to find and then the challenge of trying to find it. The play pattern of competition, essentially. Okay. You know, can I do this better than you, whether it's skill or mind or whatever it might be. So play patterns like that are, are two examples of what play patterns are. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when you're designing a toy, because I'm trying to wrap my brain around like comp competition, hide and seek sounds so easy, mm -hmm. but now I can't think of how to design a toy <laughs> that's hide and seek and competition. Now my brain just farted for lack of a better term. Right. I'm like, I can't, how do you hide and seek something? <laughs> right. How do you explain that to a student to get them to understand that? Or even when you're designing for yourself? Show them an example. Actually, one of the biggest things I tell them is to play. Okay. And that goes not just toys, but also product, transportation, whatever. Engage. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and that's the only way for... I, I, Communication is relatively difficult, right? Especially with something so abstract as fun. Mm -hmm. So the only suggestion I can have is, here you go. Let's play together. And now you'll get a sense of what I mean. And in fact, if they don't get what I'm saying and they have their own interpretation, I'm more interested in that because that means fun has been reinterpreted and we'll have a new cross-pollination, if you will. Okay. Yeah. And for toys, how long were you in the world of toys and, and, and fun designment? <laughs> Seven years, two years at Mattel and then five years at KID here in the city, their toy and game invention and licensing group. What were some of your greatest hits or were you working on for other people's projects or is there something that, you know, people go, oh yeah, I remember yeah. that. Or the good ones, of course. Well, even the bad ones, if there's one that didn't go. Yeah. But what were some of those, uh, the iterations of fun that you were behind? My first invention, so to speak, uh, was on the Disney Pixar Cars team at Mattel. And I designed, relatively invented and named the Chase and Change Frank. Which okay. is a, the big combine. It's kind of a bull anthropomorphic combine vehicle. And Disney really didn't like what was happening because it was violent and making a lot of mess. And I went back to my desk, redrew it, added a launcher to it, which got costed out in the end. But, <laughs> but then it became a TVC, which is a TV commercial item. And my first product that I did at, as a toy designer. And that was at Mattel. And then once I left there... I guess a highlight from my well uh, oh. question: What was a TVC commercial item? So something that's featured in the commercial? Yes. Or? Okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Mattel and they they make a commercial and it's on YouTube. My buddy that I've worked, he was in marketing on the same team. We're actually working together now, which is amazing. He was like, "Hey, here's a throwback," and he showed me the link to the commercial. Like, oh my god, that's <laughs> awesome! And so that was the first one. And then the one in the toy and game invention era, so to speak, mm. was something called Simon Optics. We reinvented the game to be, to reflect this new paradigm of VR glasses. Mm -hmm. 
So we turned Simon rather into something that you touch, and actually some versions you didn't touch, just kind of was near it, into goggles, okay. VR goggles. And okay. again, so the impetus was to get people to move, and we, we thought that if you could put your hands in front of Simon, it looks like you're dancing. <laughs> and and uh, yeah. so those are two highlights of, of among others. But this is kind of fascinating to me because those of us who are old enough to remember the movie Big, you know, Tom Hanks's character works for a toy company, and there's the whole idea where he's like, "Well, why do you want to play with a building? What's fun about right. playing with a building?" Yep. But how do you? How does a pitch session go for people who are thinking about toy design or just design in general? Toys being you know, again, I'm going to oversimplify it by saying toys are simple, which obviously they're not. How does a pitch session go where it's like, okay, give me some ideas for toys, everybody. And everyone starts smoking their cigars and <laughs> going, all right, impress me. Yeah, right. How does the pitch session go? Yeah. How do you go, I got an idea for a toy? Well, first, it, it's not in person as much anymore. As an inventor, we, we were in the shop and the okay. work, work lab, so to speak, making prototypes proof of concepts that we could video and send to our global clients. Okay. And then if they liked it, then they're like, okay, let's talk. Okay. And then we will fly in, show it to them, well, make deals. Or if, if it was that type of session, we were in front of a whole group. There would be at a, a larger conference or something where we would be showing them a bunch of uh, concepts all at once. Mm -hmm. So so the pitch sessions, virtual over video and, and the, the scenario that you were describing. So when you're in the shop, you're just making, you know, I know saying this just sounds so stupid. You're just making a toy. Yeah. And then you film yourself playing with the toy. Yep. And you send it to somebody and go, that looks fun. Yes. Okay. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Simply. That, you go, yeah, that's it. And that's a degree. All right. Yeah. Okay. Then I have to rethink a lot of things now. <laughs> because <laughs> poor Tom and Antonio are going to have me sitting on their desk going, hey, can you look at my stuff? Um, that does seem like the greatest job ever. Kind of. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Actually, it's the second greatest job. Okay. First greatest job then. A invention consultant. Invention consultant. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to put that here. I want to, <laughs> I want to jump. I want to get into the inventor term. Cause again, yeah. I can't, my brain cannot get past the concept of inventor Yeah, because I'm going to blame Rick and Morty for all things. Mm, yeah. Um, I, I imagine you walking around, you've got the hair already <laughs> yeah. just screaming, great Scott, great <laughs> right. Scott, great Scott all the time and looking for the infamous flux capacitor. Right. But how do you then, well, here's a question that actually sounds like a question. <laughs> when you wake up in the morning as an inventor, walk me through the day. What okay. does that mean to, to be an inventor? How do you face the day that way? First thing I would do when I wake up is look at my schedule and okay. see what appointments and things I've carved out for the day in terms of my projects and whatnot. And so get up. Luckily, my company, I run from home. Okay. So take my daughter to school, feed my youngest daughter, get her situated. And then go to the office, which is an office in my house, and basically go at whatever client work I have, depending on. And so that is my day from about nine to two-ish when I have to pick up my daughter from school, bring her back, and then I kind of keep going again. Stop for dinner, put the kids to bed, hang out with the wife, and then I go again. Okay. Uh, and then 
try to get to bed at a decent time and repeat. When you're thinking about inventing or, or thinking about problem solving, you know, there's a creative process a lot of people have, whether it's painting, you're looking at colors, you're walking around taking pictures or, 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 or trying to find, you know, hues and tones and saturation levels and things. What are the things that you, that stop you throughout the day and go, well, that was really cool. Or, Hey, that's a problem. Or, Hey, how did they solve that? Where do you find the inspiration when you're creating something? Everywhere. You can't do that to me, man. Come on. <laughs> yeah. My questions are bad enough. You got you um, to help me. I, I don't, how, how does that, I mean, what is something that you go, and, and I know the answer is going to be everything, but <laughs> what is it that makes your brain stop? You know, give me an example of something that when your brain just stopped, went, okay, ooh, hold on. Let's tear this thing apart. What makes my brain stop? Like, unfortunately, I don't think anything really makes my brain stop. Okay. Like, it's more of a curse <laughs> at that. But um, what will, I guess it's just those, Moments that you solve a problem because every problem has many sub problems mm -hmm. and lots of insights that come from these problems and challenges. And I think the things that make me kind of just like, whoa, is when the problem is solved and I'm like, yes. And I know it sounds really over, very over, oversimplified, but it's when I go through all my processes and, and try do everything I can to resolve this problem mm -hmm. challenge yeah and once i get there and i know it that's when i'm just like oh great but then what's interesting is that that is just a theory all my solutions are hype hypotheses essentially okay okay and so i try them and if it succeeds great but when it fails which it does more than half the time <laughs> uh, i'm challenged again to try and solve it and and so i stop rethink go again. So give me an example of something that you've been working on because there's so many small inventions and so many small things and so many problems that people are solving that we forget. I mean, you know, whoever invented the zip tie or whoever invented Velcro oh, or, you know, those simple things to whoever, you know, hand crank radios or all the things that we touch. Give me an example of something that you're working on now mm -hmm. that, you know, you saw a problem when I not only can solve this problem but make it better or is that how you look at it is it problem solve and better or which comes first well as a invention consultant typically i work with startups that are like okay so we have this concept we probably filed for a patent but we are facing the reality that we are not the only ones that have thought about this so they hire me to help them find that ownable point of difference. And so to answer your question, they, yes, that is my process. I take what they have and say, I know, or not I know, I believe. Okay. I believe that I can get this, I guess better is a word, but I guess to another well, level. You, you mentioned something there, point of difference. Yeah. Explain that. So with patents and just things, you know, like why would you buy this mic versus another mic, right? Mm -hmm. Because this one has a set of features that allow this to have a point of difference from being that one. Okay. And those points of difference between products might be really tiny or not at all or non-existent okay. or huge. Right. Right. And it's my job to give a point of difference that someone can own and patent, which is making it become the first 
That okay. is kind of my motto. Okay. Invention is the the act of creating the first. The first. Yeah. Got it. Oh, so so that I mean, when it comes to patents, because I mean that's a that's a very hard large thing to unpack. Right. But that's the ownership of it. The patent is I own the patent of it. I'm the one who created yes. this thing. But it's in your mind or in everybody's mind, it's it's the first then. Okay. Okay. So it's not just an iteration, it's this new idea. I mean, it, it kind of is an iteration to the point where you've iterated or, or kind of recreated it into something completely with a point of difference, okay. essentially. Yeah, because, I mean, patents are, I mean, that's a whole other yeah. world we can get into. And neither of us are lawyers, so I'm sure I, I won't be able to answer, ask intelligent questions on it. But, yeah, continue on, you know, tell me more on that where you, you've got the client that you're consulting for and they've got a thing. And it's like, well, how do we make this thing ours? What is it you're looking for other than new things? How, what's the brain path or the thinking path to making this thing original? Because mm. I know I, I, it's hard for me to, I mean, I understand the words you're explain, you're saying, but I can't even, I don't know where to take that first step. <laughs> sure. The brain path or the process, if you will. The first thing I do is identify the problem that they're solving. Most people will jump to a conclusion, okay. if you will. The brain path that I practice as well as that I teach is forget the solutions or the existing solutions because okay. those are only going to kind of give you tunnel vision, so okay. to speak. Let's break down the problem so that we can identify a platform of which to truly innovate from. Because some people look at a problem as one way when a problem can truly yield a lot of different possibilities, especially if you start from that fundamental. And you want to limit the possibilities or when you look at something, you go, wow, this has a lot of potential. There's a lot of things it can do. Right. Is that good or is that bad or a new set of challenges? <laughs> I believe that when you identify a problem, it allows you to have many more possibilities because once a problem has been stated, then you kind of have a direction, if you will, that you're already going towards. But if you have a problem statement that is broad, you can approach it from so many different directions and refine, of course, sure. to come to the goal that you're looking for. But that initial part of figuring out what the problem is without jumping to conclusions, mm -hmm. jumping to conclusions, Matt, mm -hmm. is the first step in the brain path, okay. the brain process. Right. As you're explaining this, I mean, you know, for those of us in the Silicon Valley, and it wasn't that long ago, the juice company that squeezed the pouches of juice and everybody went, wait a second, this is, I can squeeze this pouch of juice into my cup. Why am I buying an expensive thing? And you would think somebody would have figured this out at some point. And, you know, it's like, is it an invention? Is it a marketing thing? That jump immediately, I, I'm thinking, uh, they jump to conclusions. Well, you're going to need something that squeezes. You can't possibly have two things connected to you at all times that squeezes. <laughs> right? right? <laughs> Is, does that come up when you're consulting on inventions and go, well, that's just, I know you don't say that's dumb. Maybe you do. Just go, that's dumb or that's not, you're missing, are they not seeing the problem or not? seeing what the problem really is? I think there, there are products that are empowered 
by resources that might be misdirected. Okay. <laughs> That's all I can really say. And, you know, it's all arguable and debatable, but I guess, and without trying to jump forward to, I have identified that a lot of the things that are made in this world are determined, it's, their paths are determined by those with resources. Luckily, those people that have all those resources are relatively smart, or most of them are, are just <laughs> throwing money at like, oh God, that was a dumb project, right? So most of the projects that I see are pretty on point. However, I could see, or actually I have seen some things like, really? Why would you do that? But again, it's debatable. So you've identified the problem, and we'll try and get back on some path. You've identified the problem. You, you, you realize, okay, here's the problem. We're not going to figure out what the solution is. We've got to actually think about the solution. What's then the next step in that where you're working with your client and going, okay, so now we can start doing things. What are some of those things that you're starting to think about and, and getting them to communicate with you? Frankly, I'm not thinking yet, honestly. Oh, okay. the, the next problem would be research. Find out what's existing. Find out what is emerging. So basically research, finding out everything I can about this problem, about the solutions, what they've come up with, what could be, and gathering it all so that I can do the next step, which is ideation. And I've come up with a way, and I've taught this to all my students, a way to, to formulaically generate ideas through all the insights that I've yielded from research. So to answer your question, research and ideation. And for ideation, is that the most fun or is that the most challenging? It's the most challenging, therefore it's the most fun. <laughs> I know for you. <laughs> for the other guys, you're going, nap, nap, do it again. I would say most people have a lot of fun with the ideation part, depending if they can create ideas, enough ideas, because when you've got that first, second, third idea, but you're, you need to come up with 50 ideas. Right. Because that, that's a question uh, you know, that comes up a lot with when we talk to a lot of I'm going to say traditional artists who are making visual statements, but you know, as more and more as we talk to people who are illustrators, I'm not an illustrator. I'm a problem solver. What's the point you're trying to get across? I solve that problem by drawing a picture. Right. Uh, and it's a very different mindset shift. Oh, how do you get past ideation number three into 50? What are some of the things that you've learned or can help people to understand how to get to four or five, 38, 72? <laughs> yeah. how, how do you do that? Well, I think I might have mentioned it already, but it's this thing that a tool that I've made out of Excel, essentially. And it's based off of all my research and I break a problem down to all of its components. And all of those components, I brainstorm individually and I literally make a knowledge bank, if you will, okay. of which I can cross-pollinate directions and formulaically create 50, 100 200 ideas really quickly. Really? Yeah. Okay. So we're going to shift here because you're going to have to give me a product. <laughs> you're going to have to, and, and I, I want to do that because I know when I'm talking to you and other people who consult for people, it's like, I can tell you so much. Yeah. Yeah. But then I have to stop. <laughs> do you have a product that we can break down? I mean, we could break down a project product in here. What would be a good product that we can really break down and you can tell me, you know, some specific, like it didn't do this. It didn't do that. It didn't do this. We need to do that. So I have a particular one that we literally just did this last week. So 
to best explain this, because, you know, the theoretical stuff, a lot of people understand, mm. uh, especially if you're into industrial design or more importantly, a working artist designer. But for people who like myself and people just starting out or coming out of high school and thinking, hey, I like this concept, but I don't get it. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Give me an example of a specific product that you've got. And let's break that down if we can to, you know, specifics. <laughs> Due as to, best you can. <laughs> due to non-disclosure agreements, yes, yes. none of the current products I can really talk about specifically. Okay, okay. But I could talk about the process and how yeah, it applies. So, yeah, and can you tell me some of the specifics of the problems they're trying to solve? Because I think, or what's the better, because I think when, you know, problems might be a generic term to somebody who's not used to problem solving for a living. Sure. Um Cause like when you, you, cause I want to talk about the cannabis stuff just cause it's, it sounds fun. Sure. Um, well, let me ask you this and you tell me, so, you know, if we're going to, you know, I know you're working on a lot of cannabis stuff. Mm -hmm. You can smoke it, you can eat it. Mm -hmm. How hard is that? Well, <laughs> <laughs> Not that difficult, right? But it seems there's a million ways to do it. Back in the day, I, I was a much more fan of the beer can air air bond that, that was my <laughs> mode of nice. modus operandi nice. uh, you know or the paper towel roll with the dryer sheet on right, the other side of course classic <laughs> but when somebody comes to you with a, that problem like how do i better consume cannabis and disclosure we're in the state of california it's legal here and, and you can use substitute cannabis for tobacco which is legal throughout the world enjoy call a lawyer we're not here to, to solve that <laughs> right. but how do you when somebody comes to you how do i make a better smoking product that seems like I can't make a better smoking product, but, but how do you do it? You're, run, you're, run with you're it. You're talking to an inventor. Yeah. So, so how does that not, work? It's something that I say ever. Yeah, right. But the, how do I make a better smoking product? Well, there's what is better and what part of smoking are you talking about? Is it the preparation for smoking? Is it the actual smoking process itself? Is it the post smoking process? Is it the transportation of that device i mean there's so many aspects to and and well, yeah, you know, I, yeah you're answering my question <laughs> correctly where it's like holy crap i didn't think about any of this stuff yeah that's my job wow okay i'm gonna give you the problem you give me some iterations of okay. solutions there <laughs> okay. so you know before cannabis was legal in california and other states you had it in a plastic ziploc bag and it was in your pocket or in another ziploc bag wrapped around something that smelled not like cannabis. Yes. And you had a bong or you had a pipe or you rolled it with tobacco. And I'm sure I'm missing a whole lot of other things. What are the problems that you've discovered or the problems that bring about this concept of, okay, we need to invent something for this? Mm. Well, so that's one of them, the smell. That's mm -hmm. definitely a problem, whether it be for retailers mm -hmm. or for the consumer. Delivery also, because apparently you can't smell if it's packaged, uh, okay. that's actually a true factual issue that, that retailers must adhere to. Okay. That makes sense. I, you know, again, you say these things and they're big, dumb moments. Like, yeah, I can't smell a Twinkie until I open up a package of Twinkies. So, right. you know, it can't smell. <laughs> right. Of course. I mean, that, that's very obvious, right? But those are just some problems. And, and then rather than just the consumer side, there's also the industrial side, right? So there are farmers, agriculturists that basically make this as a crop, mm -hmm. right? There's a procuring it, there's putting it in the ground, caring for it, heating it, drying it, processing it, clipping it. What do you do with those clippings? 
I mean, there's so many problems with just a huge industry like that. Yeah, if we were to replace cannabis with corn, and so many of us in COVID times have, you know, taken a stab at gardening, and you start <laughs> going down the rabbit hole, oh, I got to clean my scissors between plants, or right. I'm going to murder my poor little corn plant. Right. Yeah, okay, so there's, on the industrial scale, you need to solve problems for millions of pounds of product A. Absolutely. Wow. <laughs> it's called, it's, it's designing for, the, for mass. Okay. So again, to get people to think about cannabis, because that's the way though everyone pays attention. I'm sure in class, the moment you say cannabis, everyone listens. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. It's like a photography class. Where it's like, today we're going to be photographing the human form. Everyone yeah. immediately wakes up. Because, hey, I'm going <laughs> yeah. to clean my lens now. Um, <laughs> right. You know, um, but so there's the industrial side. I mean, other problems, you know, so you said for the retailer, give me some more of that because that is ultra fascinating to me because I think so many people, when they're solving problems, are forgetting the real important side of it, the retail side. I'll give you a great, great one. So for those original aficionados, so to speak. <laughs> Are those uh, old heads? <laughs> the, 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 the way that you rated quality was by smell. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yes. I could smell it across oh, the street. Oh, no, no, not that. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. In the retail world now, you can't do that. You can't breathe on product because... No one wants something you breathe on, right? right. But I want to smell it. There's a problem. You cannot sniff the flower in retail today. There's a problem. I can't give you solutions. Sure, because, sure, sure. No, but, but yeah, that, yeah and, you, and you can't make a scratch and sniff, sniff sticker that doesn't no, quite absolutely do not. it. Right, no. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Wow. Okay. That's the big, again, all these dumb moments are like, I can't even begin to imagine how to solve that problem i mean part of me wants to go it's like opening the cookie jar really quick smell it? Smell that? There, there, there it is, there it is. <laughs> you're closer than you think okay i don't oh that's the different rabbit <laughs> sure. um wow yeah see i'm too old and i have kids so you know to me it's all gummies but that's got to be another concept because i as i'm thinking of this i've opened a pack of gummies and these gummies could be multivitamins and opening a package of gummies is outrageously difficult yes right. for good reason yes right but somebody's recreated the Ziploc bag yes. at this point. And so you said smell. Yep. I'm guessing now tamper-proof. I'm answering my own question, so yes. please jump in. No, yeah, ch uh, uh, the child, the CR is what they call it. Okay. And packaging is a huge problem. Not problem, but a platform of which to innovate from. The re-innovating or the innovating of packaging mm -hmm. for the cannabis industry is huge because we cannot let our kids open these things. Sure. Right. Sure. I mean, we've done it for years with medicine. Yeah. You know, the push and turn. Yeah. Yeah. The childproof lock. Yeah. It's not all that childproof. Right. But, but what's interesting about this industry of cannabis is it's the wild west. You know, that's the green wave as they call it. Yeah. And, and right now everyone is scrambling to find, I guess, companies or resources that can bring that innovation to this juvenile industry. Mm -hmm. It's so crazy. So you've got smell, we've got CR. So do what CR stand for? Uh, child resistant. Child resistance. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And other retail issues. So, you know, logistics, because I'm guessing freshness is a thing. Mm -hmm. um, those of us who you know, remember dirt weed. <laughs> Shake. I think that's oregano. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they wrote songs about this in the yeah. 70s for crying out loud. It's still till today. Um, and you've got consumption, which to me, Sounds like 
the most important, but already what you're telling me, there's a million other important things that I could probably more exciting, but the consumption part of it, is there still innovation happening in consumption or? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. From the old head, like you're saying, the days of burning mm -hmm. seem to be waning compared to vaporization mm -hmm. or vaporizing, I guess. Sure. I think I made up a word. We'll say vape. Yeah. Va yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, and that but, quickly went away. Well, or no. No. Okay. No. It's actually become a different form of vaporizing. Okay. Just quicker, faster, cleaner, mm -hmm. stronger, you know, bionic man stuff. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah. So consumption has something like that, that so many people are enthusiastic about will go through its evolution, if not slowly, but rather quickly. And again, you know, I'm not, not to get all Joe Rogan on this. Uh, <laughs> Please do. Uh, I love that guy. Well, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> it, it's funny, you know, we're talking about cannabis only because you, you had mentioned it before and it's that thing that, you know, it has changed so much that it's far more acceptable, uh, especially now the legalization of it everywhere. And I am far from an expert on any of this kind of stuff, but from the industrial design standpoint, like you said, it's the wild west. I mean, what else are people coming to you for when it's cannabis? Well, eventually we'll get off cannabis and, and talk about more exciting things like toilet paper or something <laughs> like totally that. Um, when people are coming to you or thinking, what are some of the other problems they're trying to solve or the other inventions, for lack of a better word, that you're experimenting with, that you're starting to see people think about? Sure. Cleaning. Every device gets gunked up. Right. <laughs> Is that good enough? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you want more? <laughs> you know, yeah, because it's fun. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, you, this stuff leaves a resin. Yes. And it has to be cleaned. That's right. Wow. You're right. Yeah. Again, a duh thing, but yeah, you know, if you can be the world's cleanest product, you're. You heard of Mr. Clean, right? Right. Mr. Green, maybe. <laughs> I just that was I don't know. <laughs> I don't know Mr. Clean, clean Green. Yeah, yeah. The, green, the big green monster. Yeah, there you yeah. go. <laughs> so okay, cleaning. Okay, yes. what else? Storage. Okay. Yeah. Freshness, like you said. I guess processing and making it yourself, because people at home want to be able to have their own resource if you will sure right and and the home producer because apparently you're i don't know anything about this and you have you can have a certain limit of which you can produce enough for yourself and that market really needs to be innovated and i'm hoping actually i have a meeting on monday to talk about that again every time you everything you say i'm just going god it's it's funny because you look at those little home kitchen countertop grow your own basil herb things you're going mm -hmm. probably grow weed with that mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> and probably are growing weed with that yeah. <laughs> yes well what's interesting about this industry it's not just cannabis cannabis is reflective of an industry called agriculture so whatever they've been doing you can do now for this new component of agriculture okay so, this new crop it's yeah. it's just it's just a thing it's just it's a translation plant, a plant right. that grows out of the ground essentially Wow. Yeah. So are we going to see like, you know, canned corn with, with cannabis? In it I, don't, I don't know where people are going to take it, but I am going, I'm taking the company to uh, the MJ BizCon in Vegas next month so we can further our entry as one of the, the initial innovation houses for that industry. And so I'm excited to see what they do over there because... Obviously, there's so many people thinking about it. There's mm -hmm. so much money here that the industry is going to evolve quickly. 
I'm really excited to see what people are going to do because I'm almost, I say that what I do is almost reactionary. It's like okay. people find problems, they come to me, I help them solve it, right? And I do this sometimes, but I'm so busy in the other thing that I don't actually look into it and say, you know what, here's something new you can do for me, so to speak. I have for other industries, but for this one, it's been relatively reactionary. And I'm hoping that when I go to this conference in Vegas next month, that we're going to find something to, rather than consult on, create ourselves and possibly manufacture. Give me an example of some of the things you've seen, you know, just for cannabis that you went, oh, wow, that's a pretty cool idea. Is there something that you looked at and went, oh, man. Not yet. Not yet? Really? Not yet. That's why I'm going to the conference. Okay. Because... Well, okay, actually, let me take that back. This thing called dabbing, I don't know if you know what this is about. I literally had to watch a video to see how that works, and it scared me. Yeah. I was like, whoa, holy. <laughs> but it, I get it. And, and so that, I take it back, that, that product or that, that technology is an interesting one. And I was like, whoa, yeah. whoa. So there, there's, a, there's a product, and that's one of the, I, I believe the reason why I reacted to that is because it's so new. There. Yeah, it's yeah, you know, somebody funnier and more and more intelligent like never underestimate stoners and trying to invent oh a new my way gosh. to smoke. <laughs> yeah. I'll subscribe to that. Right. So on the outside of cannabis, we talked a little bit about that invention concept and the creative problem solving. When somebody wants to start an invention, you mentioned research, you mentioned iteration, they've got their product they're hitting that roadblock. They're coming to you for guidance and, and consulting. What are you explaining to them or how are you shepherding them through this? You know, you, you talked about your process, but you know, what's the mindset shift that you see that people need you bring to that conversation? A lot of people invent, a lot of people problem solve, and this is not, you know, challenging you, but what is the benefit of having a consultant and another inventor on this product? Perspective, okay. especially from the, again, point of difference for sure. Engineering, manufacturing, marketing, again, the whole gamut of what can make a product competitive as well as ownable and successful ultimately, because mm -hmm. it's all about making money. Right? right. I have experience and I have a team that can bring all of those critical points of perspective to a business venture, which is any invention, right? And, and how to confidently make it successful. When somebody's got this idea and you, know, you go, okay, great. This is a good product. I think, you know, we can definitely help you take this to the next level. Uh -huh. We're behind it. What does it look like on time for you? How much time are you devoting to this product? It depends on the client. I mean, yep. there's iteration. Some problems take several. Some problems, like in just a, a past experience, a client came in, they asked a question, and I drew a sketch, and the consultation was over. <laughs> it literally was five seconds later. Oh, man. <laughs> so to answer your question, it all depends. Yeah. It all depends because the dynamics of each project is so different, and what they need is so different. What are some of the projects that you've worked on or, or that you're working on that you're really excited? That just I, and I know with NDAs and stuff and inventions, it's kind of like we're inventing the better mousetrap. That's all I can tell you because mm. that's what all we do. But <laughs> you know, you talk, we talked about cannabis that it's a new, it's a new product that has limitless ideas. 
Outside of that, what are some other areas that people should be thinking about or that you're excited about that have a lot of potential for young people interested in industrial design to start thinking about? Several. First ones that come to mind is the COVID masked culture paradigm, if you will. The pet exercise and health. <laughs> sure. Which right. is one I'm really excited about. You'll be surprised. I, I came from the toy industry. The pet toy and accessory industry is four times larger. Really? Yeah. Just, Whoa. Yeah. The difference between people's kids and their pets is if their kids break something, they're like, you're not getting another one. A pet, they break something that you buy them a better one and more money. Oh, wow. Exactly. Wow. What an interesting way of thinking. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. So pet health. Cannabis, as, always, as you know, the COVID mask culture, personal health and sports, essentially. Let's see, what else are we like? Uh, yeah, COVID, I mean, I'm sure everyone's trying to think of the next great mask concept. Outside of masks, what else are, are, are people thinking about with COVID? I mean, there, there's lots of things coming out there. There are full face helmets, so mm -hmm. to speak. There are different ways, well, the mask, as you put it. There's so many different iterations sure. of it right now. The one I'm excited about uh, is, is, without going into too much detail, is, is an ownable, very low-cost solution, okay. super low-cost. And yeah, so that's something very excited about. Toys, still games, still. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the concept of games has become fascinating. All of a sudden, every Dungeons & Dragons fan is now, you know, hey, we need you out here. Please come out of the dark. We, we need your help. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I'm not a Dungeons & Dragons person, but anytime I talk to somebody's Dungeons & Dragons fan, I'm like, I want to sit down and talk to you a little bit more. I, I missed all this. This yeah. seems like you're actually problem solving this thing. Yeah. When we're talking <laughs> about video games, I mean, we're working on a project right now that's allowing handicapped people to play video games, especially if they have a broken, I mean, a, a, a development issue with one of their limbs mm. or fingers or whatever. And we're literally developing a product that allows one-handed users to be able to still play and enjoy video games. Oh, wow. And no one's thought of this. They have. But yeah, but it's the concept of able-bodied people and people with disabilities and limited capacity is a massive industry. That, you know, so the, there's not much limitation to when people are thinking about invention, it's like, just look around you. Right. Yeah. Again, a big dumb moment, but it's like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Then when you're walking, you know, cause I asked you this before, but I'm going to, I think I have a better way of asking. <laughs> okay. Because it's, it's difficult to ask some of these questions and, and sound smart <laughs> because it's like, I want to, you know, the question is when you look at something like a zip tie, mm -hmm. cause everyone knows what a zip tie is and it's a brilliant product. Or, you know, as something as simple as a water bottle, and there's a million iterations of a water bottle. Do you get obsessed by that stuff when you see it and go, that's a great idea. Are you just done for the weekend? Or is it something you file back into, okay, I'll come back to that? I look at it both ways. First, I'm inspired. Okay. Like, wow, how elegant. And just so you know, the zip tie is one of my top five favorite products ever. Okay. I just, and that Velcro, as you said earlier, okay. my second, and then Lego. So in terms of seeing something, do I get obsessed? No. If anything, I'm filing it in my mind to use it to my advantage for future iteration of whatever I'm working on. They say great artists don't borrow, they steal. And so I steal a lot of concepts to, to make things better, but not copy. Yeah, I, yeah sure. So. so let's go through that thing. Because, you know, if I'm a student 
and I want to create something. And I come to you, all right, all right, you know, I got 20 minutes with you, uh, and I've got this great idea for an invention. And I'm going to give you an invention just to make it easy. And it's not one I've thought about for a long time, <laughs> I promise you. But, you know, let's pick something that's COVID-related and something like that. When somebody wants to go, I've got a great idea for a mask. And a mask is a very simple concept from the get-go. It's a piece of paper you put over your mouth and nose. What are the things that you would tell a student to start thinking about? You know, you said research and iteration, but give me some specifics if you can of what do you need to be researching? What do you need to be thinking about? Well, what other people do, but, but more importantly, what you can observe of people doing. And so the research isn't just going off and looking at trends and, and research the state of the industry and technology, but one of the most important things is to watch a user, whether it be for four hours, a whole day or whatever, and see those minute scenarios that are those aha moments. Mm -hmm. Like, oh my God, there you go. So that's one of the things that I tell students to do is shadow. Mm. Kind of like anthropologists, right? Or, right? or people that are out in the wild, or Jane Goodall. <laughs> Stay away and watch the behavior. Okay. Because you will have so much insight that you cannot get from just computer or book research. The other part is to play. Yeah. Like we said earlier, is to get in there, wear the mask, and put your objective observation mind on and see all of those moments where you're like, I hate it when. Or, mm. God, this, why is this, uh write it, write it down, email yourself, text yourself, or just create a list like I do, a growing live list each day, and then, and then store it or analyze it later. Mm. But, but those are the two things that people don't realize is critical in terms of really thinking about and, and doing the process of innovation and design. Because uh, you, when you're thinking about masks and I'm looking at you and I'm thinking of myself. You know, it's got, there's so many different things that were, you know, different size ears, different nose bridges, different, yeah. different chins. I've got a fat face. You've got a more angular face. <laughs> so like, oh, wow. Yeah, this is kind of, yeah, there's all these little things that you've got to sit down and, and, and think about. Yes. And so the other day I got an Uber mm -hmm. to pick me up at, because I had my car being serviced. And I asked the person to turn the air conditioning on because it was a really hot day in the mm -hmm. East Bay. And he said, I can't, because the, the air that's coming in is filtering, it's gonna, it might push the, what's in the air to me or from me to you. Mm. And so the window stayed open. And I was like, okay, that makes sense, but that's a problem. Right. right. And so because of COVID, the way masks work, even though, because a car is essentially an enclosed space, right? So thinking about where this mask and the environment it's in is another part right. that'll give, foundation for you to, to some, ponder something to think about like, exactly great you solved the nose problem yeah you know i you know my my wife is chinese and so she has a very flat broad mm -hmm. nose i know exactly and, what my, you're talking about. and you know, i see with my son he's got more of her nose uh -huh. and i've got a you know a, a, a pudgy nose sure so you know even sunglasses that you yes. know it's like the nose bridge is totally different right i, I pinch the little mask on my kid and i'm like Buddy, you got it's no nose here, buddy. Pinch. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I pinch your nose again. Sorry, I pinch your nose again, kid. Uh, but yeah, and, and the environment makes sense. And aside from the thinky part, which is so important, what are some of the skills that you see that students should focus on and not worry about? You know, not an or, but an and. I mean, because when we see industrial designers, oftentimes we think of these amazing, these very unique style of sketches. This 
it's almost this rendered, you know, looking at it from a, a different, I don't even know what the term is anymore. Three-quarter perspective. Three, yeah, 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 I was yeah, going to say three-quarter yeah. perspective. Yeah. Isn't yeah. there like a fancy term to yeah. make, it, make it sound better? It's perspective, yep. Okay. It's just so, ooh, and ah, it's like, ooh, that's just cool. But is that necessary? Absolutely. Yes. The caveat I have to put to that, though, is it doesn't have to be fully rendered or cool, if you will. The coolness and the value in sketching is if you can communicate, okay? Uh, someone might put a bunch of time into making something look highlighted or a certain material, but one thing that students or designers need to keep in mind is that it's about generating many iterations quickly. And, and so that drawing part, yes, you must know how to do it, absolutely. In perspective, yes. But in terms of making it super cool and everything, I think that I believe the coolness is whether you can get what's in here to your client's mind or whoever's mind. Okay. And what, what are the skill sets that you think students really, or I'm not going to say students, well, anybody thinking about this or, you know, yeah, they've got this idea. What else should they be thinking about as far as skills or things to develop? Definitely modeling, 3D modeling, because the traditional modeling of building and making things with your hand are, dare I say, minimizing or mm -hmm. sure. evolving, I right. guess. VR is amazing. However, we do want to touch things. Right. That's that constant battle, right? Exactly. Okay. So, but modeling in general, the, th the 3D digital modeling is a really big thing because now you can draw something, you could think of something, you could make something on a computer. And then with the advent of 3D printing, you can have it the next day. So those things, and I would say, even though we're not really teaching this per se, maybe it is something we should teach, is how to use 3D printers. Okay. Right. It's, it's rapid prototyping. Uh, and I was just telling a client yesterday, look at this thing that I have in front of you. If this was 1980, you'd think that I was from Star Trek. Right. You know? right. I mean, it's literally that this machine that if you time-lapsed it, you'd be like, that came out of nowhere. Yeah. And so that's another skill I think people or aspiring designers or designers in general should really master because to have something in reality is magic. Yeah. That concept of, you know, anytime I see rapid prototyping, anything, it's just like, it's crazy. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. is the, just, just make stuff all day. I just want to sit and watch it. Yeah. This is cool. Yeah. You, you make a bunny, make me a bunny. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially. Now, the only thing about 3d printers is they're machines. They're mm -hmm. like cars and they need maintenance and mm -hmm. they mess up because they're machines and you got to fix them. So that in itself should be something that people should start to get comfortable with essentially, you know, with the technology, my daughters, they see it and they're just like, oh yeah, it's the 3D printer, right. which is cool because they're going to be used to the technology and sure. when they need to use it, they're like, oh yeah, I know how to do this. Yeah. But uh, for the general population, like my dad, right? He sees invention and he's like, oh, I went, I gave him a 3D printer. I believe that people that want to design should get used to this new emerging and soon to be ubiquitous technology. Right. We all have mark making material and then this is the new mark making device. Right. Yeah. That makes total sense. What else should people be thinking about as far as, you know, skill set? Cause you mentioned being able to, you know, the iteration, the drawing concept, you know, thinking about the world of 3d digital design, yep. the visual aspect of it, the prototyping aspect of it. What's another skill set or some other things that somebody who's just starting out or kind of unsure, like I can't invent, but I like invention. Some things to, to kind of, Hey, you know, head, head down this way. Or start thinking about this path. What, what skill sets do you see? Or what, uh, here's a better, here's a real question. 
when you're looking at your students who are coming, like, I want to be an inventor. What are some skill sets that you see that you've pushed them to and go, hey, you're really good at X. Let's spend some time with that. I guess one of the things that, that I, I've seen recently that probably be more reflective of a general issue is communication. Start learning how to tell your story. Because if you can't convince people, what's the point? Or get them to see your vision. Right, yeah. But you said story. What's different then in a pitch or a story? Or how is the story structure for something like this go? Are you going, okay, Hansel and Gretel are walking up. <laughs> Possibly. Walking up the field and they see all this cannabis. And yes, <laughs> yes. Exactly that. Really? Yeah. You paint a picture. My mentor said that Industrial design is like show business. Our sketches, our videos, our prototypes are all part of these things that create a story and picture for people to see that will become reality if they so choose to make it happen. So that's something that storytelling and creation is something that is a soft skill. Almost mm -hmm. Sure, yeah. That, yeah that, that falls into that, that ubiquitous, ethereal. Yes. <laughs> the weird, it's like, you got to have it, but I don't know what it is. Yeah. Soft skill. Yeah, there's, it's, I believe it can be learned over practice. And I tell my students that all the time before they present, I'm like 15 minutes, everyone practice. No one does it. Actually, there's some that will do it. Like, come on. But it is a skill that can be honed and, and made stronger. Everyone seems to think that I'm so comfortable talking to people. And, and I kind of, I guess I am now, mm -hmm. but before I walked in here, I was nervous. And when I was younger, I would not talk to anybody. I was super shy, really nerdy. That's why I drew all the time, you know, because I wanted to express myself. However, being in this, on this platform, so to speak, of designing and innovation, one of the things that you must be able to do is tell that story and tell it succinctly and with 110% passion. Because if you can't, there's so much competition that you're just going to not be heard and therefore fail. Yeah. It's interesting because I know in the industrial design department, they have these big collaboration projects. Yep. And that seems to be a massive, almost the hardest part for the students is the presentation. Because, you know, like you said, you were into art because you couldn't or didn't want to. Couldn't, <laughs> right. couldn't is not the term. You didn't want to communicate at that time. Yeah. You know, I felt more comfortable behind a camera or the camera gave me the tool to then have an ego. Without a camera in my hand, I couldn't move forward. Right. So many people, when they come to art school, that it's almost their talisman. Forget it being a paintbrush and the thing. It's this is their talisman to move forward. And storytelling seems such a big part of the industrial design process. It's amazing to see that. What else that, you know, or, or some traits that you notice from students over the years and in yourself and other designers that are traits for, I hate to say parents and narrow it down to the parents kid thing. But if somebody is thinking about industrial design, as opposed to, you know, painting, photography, and I know there's a lot that there's interconnected, but some traits for industrial designers to go, hey, 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 that person over there, you might want to give them a very large nudge <laughs> into this wacky world of industrial design. What are some traits that you see that really help that process? Curiosity. For sure. If, if you're not interested in things, this is probably not the place for you to be because we're making things. Humility, because you're going to fail a lot. Like I said, 50 concepts before, 
in being in the formerly in the toy and game industry, if if we got one concept out of two hundred, we succeeded. Yeah, that's a hundred and ninety nine failures that you have to go. Eh, whatever. Yeah, they say hitting a baseball professionally is the hardest thing. Absolutely, nope. I think being a designer is the hardest thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. On average, yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, 199. <laughs> you did 199 failures. Yeah, what? Today. One of 200. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and he's successful. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Humility. Okay. What? What other traits that you see that pop up for, that you go, oh man, this one's gonna make it. Uh, thick skin. Thick skin. Okay. For sure. If if there's anything that I tell my students, don't fall in love with any one idea. You, as an industrial designer, you are trained to be a mass idea generator. So to fall in love with one means you're wasting resource and time on a single thing when you should be thinking about many. Okay. Yeah. So a thousand ideas of you know, your brain pinballing all over the place is the good thing. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, it, it's funny because as I've gotten older and spent a lot of time with industrial designers and, you know, talking to more artists and, you know, you look at art and you're going, as I've gotten older and have a son, as you know, and we always want to keep the parents of the students who are potentially going to school. It's like, hey, your son or daughter is bouncing off the walls, yet then when you give them a pen, they immediately have sat down and focused and you can't pull the pen out of their hand. Right. That's a good thing. Yes. How do we focus that? <laughs> yes, by exposing them. Yeah, exposure, really. I believe that I've gone through my path through, you know, IT and then into this, and, and it helped. But if I can circumvent that first trial, so mm -hmm. to speak, for my children and get them into what they're passionate about from the beginning and not waste that time. I, I hate saying that, but if I can empower my children earlier, not force them, yep. mind you, sure, empower them, that's, that's all I really want. Okay. Yeah. This one comes up and it, I can imagine it's difficult to pinpoint, but what influences you when you are thinking about industrial design? And again, and, you know, and please correct me for a better term for influencing you in industrial design, because that's such a broad term. But where do you go for influence for this? Where do you go to find ideas? I, you know, I know you talked a lot about research, yeah. but is there a go-to point or a go-to thing to start? Yes. It's called Target <laughs> or Walmart. <laughs> okay. Or honestly, go for a walk. Steve Jobs said it. When he was vexed by a certain issue, he went for a walk yeah. and talked with somebody. I believe that you've gotten emails from me. My, my sign off is perpetually inspired. I believe inspiration is everywhere. And the go-to, like you said, the thing that I do just first, just to give me a base, is to go a place where there's tons of things, like I said, Target yeah, or Walmart. Yeah. And I was just telling my student this the other day, I will literally walk up and down every single row, looking at everything and putting my industrial design mind on and saying, why is that cool? Oh, yeah. There you go. And what's that? That too. And over and over again as my foundation. Okay. Because when I come back home and I analyze all that stuff I did in the field, it'll give rise to something else. Mm. Something else. So to answer your question, I go to Target. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I, it's funny listening to you and, and how you're thinking and then what you're trying to create. You have to be surrounded by the cacophony of things. And you have to be bombarded with literally every single thing vying for your attention yes. to make sense. So you can't focus, you can't be in an empty room. You must go nuts. Yeah. 
Well, you must be tearing out the walls. What's behind the wall? I, I can't do the paint. I can, I can, it depends if, am I pondering an issue or a challenge or question? Because if so, some of the things that, that are really cool for me is just to close my eyes you know, and listen to music and just chill. Mm -hmm. Typically, that doesn't last very long because I'll come up with something that I have to write it down. But uh, if there was a way to kind of record your thoughts and put it down on paper, that would be amazing. There's an invention yeah, there for you. you. But, uh, <laughs> actually, actually I think Elon's making the, right, the sure. brain link or whatever. But yes, yeah, so I need, not that I need, but part of my process is to be immersed in stimulus. And it could be a movie. Again, a problem because I watch a movie and I'm thinking about something. Then I look down at my phone and I text myself and I missed part of the movie. So, but uh, yeah, being out there, going to walk, having taking a walk, going to Starbucks, wherever, there's inspiration everywhere to be found. What you just said, I think, is that great thing that parents think about or anybody. We've all met somebody that's like, man, hey, 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 over here. But that immersed in stimuli, I guess it does take a brain. That goes, give it to me. Just give me more. Yeah. Just jam it in. Wow. No. <laughs> That's, uh, you're nuts. That's great. <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> All right. Okay. Last thing, because, uh, you know, give me the 30 second pitch on what makes problem solving fun. What makes problem solving fun? Because I hear it from seconds. all of you guys who are really talented and good. That I'm a problem solver and it drives me batty because all I want to do is make pretty pictures and all you guys do is solve problems. Give me the pitch on why problem solving is where it's at. Besides being a challenge, problem solving is fun because you are able to realize an idea, essentially. It allows you to create a solution. I know it's, it seems so obvious, right? Why, why, why problem solving? Well, because you could solve problems. Yeah. <laughs> but frankly, that is the fun in it, the going through the whole process of searching this whole path of the, you know, the Frodo bringing the ring to Mount Doom, right? Mm. I know the solution's there. How am I going to get there? Especially I'm being attacked from this side and pitfalls on that side and issues. The fun is that path. The beauty of problem solving is getting there, and obviously the realization of a solution. But beautiful as that is, I believe the path and the adventure going there is the fun of it. Perfect. I'm going to stop there because I, <laughs> I don't want to kill that. That's awesome. Okay. You know, one of the things we don't want to skip over is you said a lot of things that make a lot of sense. And people are still going to want to wrap their head around it. And I'm going to have a hard time wrapping my head around it. We all think about it all the time. But how did you come up with a mission statement for your company? What's the nutshell of what it is you do with your company? Well, as I said before, you find a problem statement, right? And the problem I found, especially as a designer working for big companies, is that the things that are produced are typically directed by those that control resources, specifically more like the elite, the 1%, so to speak, sure. right? The regular people, we don't have as much control over that. We're not controlling the flow of plastic into the world. Oh, yes. Or yeah. product, whatever it might be, yeah. right? And so that's the reason why I started my company is because I realized that the people that make things in this world are not regular people, so to speak. <laughs> sure. And my mission 
after a lot of pondering and, and seeing all of this, is to help people realize the innate creativity that everyone has. And what's really interesting, and I don't know if it's timing, because I started my company last year and COVID hit. Yeah. The garage entrepreneur. Sure. Yeah. Is something that's kind of a byproduct out of this and so fortunate for me, but fortunate for them because now I get to help empower them and possibly even create prosperity for their own through their own work and their own creativity. And, and so being a designer, knowing that I have this creativity and everyone else does, that if I can help them earn a life out of it that is fueled by their own passion and the fact that they're providing for themselves and their families, I don't know if there's anything more beautiful in that, especially as a creator. Yeah, you know, it's funny because you mentioned that, and that's one of those things that, you know, we live here in Silicon Valley. And so, you know, it's a meme at this point of, you know, which empty garage did some cool company start out of. Right. But the concept of entrepreneurship, the concept of being your own boss is always ebbing and flowing. And like you said, COVID has forced all of us to go, well, you literally have no more reason or room to procrastinate because you are literally stuck at home now. Yes. Figure it out. Right. Have you seen a legitimate influx in great ideas coming your way now? I don't know because I don't have a basis to compare from. But like I said, luckily, I guess I got lucky in when we started this company because the whole COVID paradigm, so to speak, has brought a lot of garage entrepreneurs mm. to me. And when these entrepreneurs are looking for success or your idea of success, let's start there. What is a success for you? You know, when somebody comes to you with a product, Specifically, when they're looking at you, know, to have you come and consult on a project? What does success look like? And I know Fortunately I, and unfortunately, success is rooted in finance. Does this make you money? So to answer your question, can I help you achieve success to where you can create prosperity for you? Can you live off of your creation? That's the degree of success. That's how I measure success. You know, it's not, oh, can you get it made? Yeah. Right. Is can this creation of yours provide for your family? Okay. And so for that, you. That, that's that far reaching. That's okay. Yeah. That's the better way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes more sense instead of can I sell this to somebody and be done with it or can I actually live? Live. Yeah. And that seems to be more possible now. Yeah. Absolutely. That's good. Absolutely. Cool. I'm going to jam that in there. That may even start it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to, I'll ask you that question. Okay. When you look at entrepreneurship, is that your goal? I mean, entrepreneurship sounds like you know, a lot of people want to be their own boss, but how important is that to you? It's the one true goal. Really? Our motto for our company is designed for the 99. Typically now the 99 work for the one. How about we all work for ourselves? And so entrepreneurship is, is not only a goal, but a, a mindset that we're hoping to help people adopt because if what is more fulfilling than be able to living off of your own creativity and passion, nothing. And, and like I was just saying to you earlier is this perspective of us, whenever we get out of school to go work for somebody else is too ingrained in what we do in our practices. I believe that, that it should be balanced with this perspective that you can go to work for yourself and succeed especially if you have people around you that can show you the way, guide you, and help you. So there you have it. Some great advice 
and a great story. And I hope you took some notes because if you've ever dreamed about a career in art and design, more and more art and design career opportunities are on the rise and employers are on the hunt for the next generation of talented and of course skilled creative professionals. Here at Academy of Art University, you will get those work-ready skills that employers want. You can study on-site in downtown San Francisco and of course anywhere in the world with our online programs. To request info about our 40 plus areas of study in art and design, including game development, industrial design, illustration and fine art, just visit our website at academyart.edu slash creative mind. My name is Bobby Brill. Thanks for listening.